welcome to the Value Coffee Talk podcast. Hi, I'm April Morley. I'm co-founder of Genius Drive. And I'm Tom Pacello, the ROI guy. This podcast is a service of the Enterprise Value Collective, a community for value-focused leaders and practitioners, and is sponsored by our value consultancy, Genius Drive. Our mission is to help accelerate and optimize the value articulation in each of your customer engagements and throughout your customer lifecycle. And who better to help us with that and give us good advice on product marketing is Steven Siegel. He's a value-focused product marketing leader veteran with SSNC Blue Prism. He's also an alum of other companies, Clumio, ServiceNow, SGI, EMC, and I could go on for a little bit there. Stephen, welcome. Too many to mention. Too many. <laughs> uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. Look forward to this uh, discussion. When, when we think of product marketing, it has the word product in it. And I think that that can be part of the challenge. Uh, product-led growth is a strategy that many, particularly early stage firms, kind of rely upon. But yeah. that definitely presents a challenge for product marketers. No, it does. I mean, and in, in what I've seen in, in just about every organization I've worked at comes at it, you know, they'll start with engineering. Uh, they do the product feature function push. They're so anxious mm -hmm. to tell everybody about the wonderful technical capabilities they've put in. Uh, but the bottom line is it ultimately uh, makes them sound like everybody else. And what really punches above the noise, and that was certainly my mission at Clumio, um, it's my mission now, and it was my mission even as far back as ServiceNow, is if you want to punch above the noise, the easier way to do it is to talk about different things than feature function. And it's talking about the problems you solve and the outcomes you help, uh, you help achieve. That gives context to your conversation, context to why your product is important. That's what I'm finding to work after knocking my head for 12 years in, in marketing before finally happening on uh, this approach that, that actually does seem to work from my point of view. So what would be some of the symptoms to tell that the current approach is not working? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the net of it is you don't have to look too far. They usually They usually follow and find you. When you look at the metrics, you look at the uptakes, the download, you know, the leads, the downloads, the conversions, and the and you know, the progression through sales cycles that continue to get longer, even though you want them to go shorter. Um, but honestly, what I've found most useful um, is if you sit down with your campaign people, <clears throat> see what's excuse me, see what's out in market, and you just look at the nurtures, you look at what assets there are out there, what their titles are. Um, Any time that I've looked at that, I I can look at it and say, yeah, I know we we can do much better. We we have to put ourselves in the shoes of the prospects and the customers, understand the journey, and think about some of the simple stuff like the titling, right, of the different assets or the campaign names, or or what it says on the web pages. If it's about a great outcome uh, that I'm that I as a prospect or customer want to see or a problem that I have. Odds are it's going to connect. A lot of times it's just, I hate to say it, but fluffy marketing stuff. And when you look at it, uh, particularly somebody who who over time gets familiar with the technology and the market and the and, and what's needed, you can learn very quickly about why it's not making. Uh, it may not be making uh, you, you know, helping you hit your goals. And that's the part where 
you know, you, you don't you don't need all the metrics to go look at that. You if you if you're looking at those pieces, you can figure out what needs to be done. I yeah, think. one of the staples has always been the product data sheet, right? The one pager, things like that. Um, yeah. So it sounds like what you're saying is kind of look at the content from a customer journey perspective, and then totally. think about the pains and the outcomes as it relates to that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Think about what they're thinking of of assessing earlier on where they don't know all about your technology. I mean, we it's, it's alignment to the buyer's journey. Thought leadership, awareness, consideration, and preference. That's that's how I buy cars. That's how I buy tech. Other people tend to follow that kind of a model. Uh, it's very well known, but uh, very often you see people out in market without kind of that kind of that guiding principle. And when you when you miss that piece, um, you know you shouldn't be surprised that uh, your uh, your messaging and your content might not be as sticky as you would hope. So what approach would you recommend for our listeners? Yeah, the approach that I'm taking right now with my teams, and I've been refining it uh, as I go for the last several years, but it's very simple. Um, first, start with the personas. And ChatGPT is a great tool to understand job descriptions and personas. It's really given us a leg up, uh, but you have to validate. But the net of it is, you know, to cut to the chase, look at your key buying personas. Right? Don't go by title. Go by, you know, things like economic buyer, right? Things like technical decision maker, key influencers. Understand what are their job responsibilities. It's very easy today, easier today than it's ever been in chat with ChatGPT. Um, but look at their key metrics, right? Look at the outcomes they are trying to achieve. And then when you come through in your value messaging, make sure that you can check some of those boxes. By definition, you're going to be building in from the beginning, right? To make sure that, you know, when you get your payoff, Right. As you solve a problem, show how you solve it. Right. And what a great outcome you can achieve. If that's aligned to what their typical role is looking for. Right. Then it's then then you're designing it in from the beginning as opposed to trying to patch it in at the end, which we all know never works terribly well, at least not for me. Stephen, value is definitely in the eye of the beholder. And I do think that that persona based approach is important, particularly there's a lot of solutions that we wind up talking to folks about where. There are multiple personas, not just like an economic oh, buyer, always. but, you know, there could be IT, always. there could be supply chain, procurement, workforce management, HR, all, all yeah. across. And every single one has different goals. Talk about that and kind of how that makes the job maybe a little bit more difficult, but why, when you hit that, the, the yeah. results are incredible. It, 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 it does make it more difficult, but by the same token, that's the reality. That's the reality mm -hmm. of B two B marketing. It's it's not consumer marketing. It's it's not selling you know consumer electronics or you know where there's one one buying one buyer making the decision. There are multiples. It's a team. I think one of the most effective things I learned early on was when I boiled my messaging, my multi audience messaging, down to one page, um, and getting to that level of clarity and simplicity uh, took a long time, took three to four months, probably longer if I think of, if I actually think about it. Um, but the net of it was we started with the end customer. And then for each persona, each audience, right, we, we kind of dialed it into what's in it for them. Mm -hmm. right? um, but what it really held it all together, right, and I was at Nokia at the time, uh, going way, way back, right, um, you know, when every, the net of it was everybody ultimately was an end user of you know, uh, uh, cell phones. So, uh, which is what the solution was based on. 
and when you could when you could dial them in because everybody was a user in that particular scenario, it made it easier for particular people to understand it and then wrap your head around it and say, "This is my piece, right? You know, I'm the value added reseller. Here's what I bring to the table. But if I understand what the end customers are looking for and getting out of it, it ties it all together. Uh, and that's ultimately what you have to do. I mean, I think the other piece that I'm particularly focused on. Um, and it's uh, it's all I'll say is it's been a trend in the last three jobs I've been focusing on is there's a different number of audiences that you focus on for the entire sales cycle, which is, could be as many as a dozen. You mm -hmm. rattled off a couple of different uh, good ones. But in demand gen, because it's top of funnel, because you tend to want to go top down, um, it does it does go into a, a smaller number. It's usually an economic buyer, a technical decision maker, maybe a key influencer. Uh, the key there, I think, particularly in new technologies, and we had to we had to sort through this uh, back at uh, Clumio. We were coming out of stealth; nobody even knew us, and we had to go after, you know, those key economic buyers, right? And going into an area which was, you know, backup and recovery, which is, you know, not the 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 world's most uh, scintillating technology, may I say? Um, but we had to grab them by the shirt collar, punch above the noise. Sorry to use so many cliches, but that's really what it's about. Um, and we use things like uh, predictable costs, things that they hadn't heard of in storage. Mm -hmm. um, those those kind of simple, straightforward messages that we could explain helped it helped it uh, stand out. And that's the kind of thing you have to do. So a lot of it, from what I see, whether it's the feature function push or the personas, is, is, is that if you try to do too much at the beginning, you overload yourself, you overcomplicate it, and you wind up making your message muddled, and it doesn't ultimately get you what you want. If you're very uh, strategic and targeted about your messages on a smaller set of uh, personas uh, that you can win with and then figure out how that gets built over time in the sales cycle, I think that, is, it, to me, it's just a much more practical and pragmatic approach. It gives you the opportunity to to validate as you go, because there's a lot of uncertainty in doing all this stuff. Yeah. So, so that's, that's what I advocate. Yeah. So my take on what you're saying is when you've got to get that snowball rolling with the customer. Exactly. And to do that, there's a couple of places for you to push um, and make sure that those are very focused on the area, like you said, an economic buyer, a technical buyer, um, and that you know those personas well and you're targeting them and you're not going too wide because- right the sales cycle doesn't start with everyone. It usually starts with just a couple of roles, but that right. when it, that ball does get rolling, that's where you need that additional messaging as those other stakeholders right. come into the decision-making. Yeah. And a lot of what we've done so far and what I've seen, we build out, you know, these messaging frameworks again at a high level, identify the key personas, uh, build the content aligned to the buyer's journey. Mm -hmm. We have a very simple messaging framework and a story that ties together, which is we talk about the situation, right? What are they facing? What are the problems, the technology trends, the business trends, mm -hmm. right? What are the implications of that trend, which translates to what are the pain points? What problems and challenges does that create for them? How do you resolve it? And what are the great outcomes that you can help bring to bear? And that's where you bring in the voice of the customer. When you connect those four pieces together, then you have this, it's a little mini story. It's a mini elevator pitch. Mm -hmm. So much so, and Tom knows this, I've, I've put them on flip cards, right? In the past where people, you know, BDRs and ISRs and sellers, they can practice them. They can say, oh, I've heard this problem before. I know how to solve it, right? And you tie to the, to the great 
customer-centric outcomes. That's what works. And by the way, that becomes very consumable, consumable for your sellers too. Um, yeah. And what we do then is we, we lay it out in what we call a content strategy that maps to awareness, consideration, and preference and, and thought leadership on the, over on the top. We lay it out for those people so they know what to go to first and what comes after that and then after that again. So as a product marketer, what would you recommend doing to get aligned with this approach? Um, it's really, it's, it's, you know, really ultimately, I, I think, you know, it, it's aligned to that buyer's journey. But I think the most important thing, um, and it's really not hard or time consuming. Um, I mean, you can make it as hard or time consuming as you want. The key thing that I, I would add to that, in addition to aligning to that buyer's journey, thinking through that process is really along the lines of go make sure you do, you do your validation. Um, but let me be very specific on that because I have a very lightweight idea of how to do that. Um, you know, with all the help you can get with ChatGPT, everybody will tell you it's not perfect. You can't rely on it on its own. Um, but what's most helpful is find a handful of friendly customers. And when I say that, this is very actionable. Two or three will work. Four to five is good. Mm -hmm. um, by that time, you'll usually get, you know, you'll see the trends. Go out. If you can go see them, buy them a cup of coffee. Um, if you can get on the phone with them, just take them through your messaging, right? Um, and then get their reaction to it. I have learned the most useful things, and I call them, you know, my little badges of honor. Translation on that is is when customers have handed my me my head on a platter and say, no, 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 you don't get this. I literally had when we had a message that we were coming forth with um, that I was basically we had a cloud first strategy, right, which was a technology strategy, but not mm -hmm. a customer strategy. Mm -hmm. And the person I was speaking with related to me that if anybody from my company came in their door saying a they should take a cloud first strategy, and this was a very large, well-established financial services firm, they were they were going to get thrown out of that meeting and not invited back. So I think that rises to the uh, level of, you know, me getting my head handed to myself. But the point of it ultimately was I got the validation I needed. My instinct said something like meeting the customer where they are in their cloud journey was much more consumable. And that's ultimately mm -hmm. what we wound up going with. And the point of it ultimately is I got greater learning out of, out of that than any of the other conversations I've had. And you don't have to have too many. Uh, yeah, it can be a little bit humbling. But that's okay. Um, you get better. You, you get better content out of it that way, and that's what really works uh, in market. Absolutely, the soundbite that you're trying to create might not resonate and might actually turn them off. So, absolutely yeah. have to validate totally. it. Yeah, um, Stephen, we didn't mention. You know, a lot of organizations are struggling with renewals. They're struggling with you know the, their expand strategies within accounts as budgets tighten, and yeah. you need to think beyond just the okay, we got to outreach to prospects. We've got to begin attracting them, engaging them, sell them. But it goes beyond that, right? It's more of a life oh, cycle totally. approach. Yeah, to yeah no, uh, fully a life cycle approach. I mean, I, I remember in previous companies, there were, you know, we would set up, and SaaS companies typically have a three-year license. And the key essence of it, and to me, the best practice of it, um, 
is basically don't wait to the last minute to, to focus on your renewals. I mean, it's very tempting to do that with everybody trying to drive new logos and mm -hmm. upsell and cross-sell. Um, but you can't skip the part of, and, and there was a name for it, a colleague, and it was a gentleman who worked uh, at EMC, also worked at ServiceNow, and it was called Validate the Value. And the net of it was you ultimately, and we used to try to start this six months after go live, but certainly 12 months before you would do a renewal, right? You engage your account teams, you engage your customer success teams, and you talk to your customers and you validate the value that went into the business case that they got they got sold on to begin with. Mm -hmm. And you had to go ahead and, and apply the best practice to make sure that they were getting value out of what you had sold them. And did they did it live up to expectation, right? Did it not? You needed to know that ahead of time, right? Why? Because if you needed to do any mid-course corrections, you needed time to go ahead and go do it. And the flip side was is that if it didn't go well, you knew where your renewal was going to go. So you might as well get started on, you know, uh, bolstering it and understanding if there are issues in implementation, if they're not seeing the value, why are they not? Maybe they didn't avail themselves of the education that they needed. Maybe there's issues in integrating other products or other other peripheral uh, peripheral capabilities. You know, have they availed themselves, you know, of professional services capabilities, of partners, et cetera, et cetera. Lots of different ways in which things can kind of kind of get off the rails, so to speak. And you need to know that. And and the bottom line is the signals. If you wait to the last minute, may just come way too late for you to do anything about it. So that's that's one of the things that I've always seen is. Um, you know, it's, you know, be proactive, uh, get ahead of it and do the best you can to be on top of it so that you know where that value is coming from, um, from your products. If you stay ahead of it, then I think you're in generally good shape. I like the concept val validate the value. You know, the common term for it is realized ROI or realized yeah. value. And it, it connotes <clears throat> deep quantification. And yeah. I'm not sure that many customers really need that level. Um, you know, they need to be able to tell a story internally of how successful right. this project has been or how it's falling short. So keep that in mind and we'll, I'm sure we'll cover yeah. it in, in future sessions. Yeah. I mean, I think the key of it, I mean, the essence of what was done uh, was, I think, if I remember correctly, it was five simple questions that got asked, mm -hmm. um, you know, and it was along the lines of did it meet expectations and, and that sort of thing. But I think the key element as well of it is very often. Um, and in, in automations, you know, we have this issue of a lot of times we wind up selling to the center of excellence, the COE, which is usually a, a specific and targeted, targeted group within IT. In other companies, it was within the IT organization. But to find the value, you have to really get outside of those core organizations, not to, the, to their exclusion, but the impacts of the value manifest in many other places uh, across the company, in sales, in the different functions in the operational groups. Those are the ones who are going to give you some of the level of insights. And if you don't get outside of that, you know, you get these metrics that you look at uh, sometimes within a very narrow scope. And, and you know, they ultimately, uh, the metrics vary all over the place. There's sometimes where you have, you have 100% numbers of ROIs and you'll, you'll smile on this, Tom, because I remember being told that if if I came in with an ROI number, anything more than 100%, the C-level the C level executives would just not believe me no matter what I said. Mm -hmm. And then you have cases where, you know, 25 or 50 basis points of value or, or, or improvement on margins, your financial audience would think that's huge. 
right? So you have this hugely different um, set of metrics and things, and mm -hmm. it all depends on that persona, right? And those personas manifest likely beyond where you may where you may be selling. Great suggestions. Uh, what's the one piece of advice you'd like to leave our Enterprise Value Collective with today? Yeah, uh, a couple of different points, but I think the most salient one, at the, and you may be your audience may be underwhelmed, but I hope not. Um, it's keep it simple, and I say that because simple is what works. Not dumbed down, but simple, clear. Explain it to your parents and grandparents. Clear. Mm -hmm. um, who's coming from somebody whose parents and grandparents probably never understood what, what I did for a living. Um, but if you, if you stay with that and focusing in on, uh, you know, less of the how, more of the what and the why, right? The problems you solve is the why. The what is the outcomes. The how you do it is, is the technology piece. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm just saying it comes a little bit later in the sales cycle, right? Don't lead with that follow follow strongly with it but lead with the lead with the great outcomes lead with the the problems you solve that will give you the stickiness and keep it simple so any reasonable business person can understand it because if they can then a very broad audience can and that will dr drive attention to what you're doing that's what i found to work oh, that's fantastic um so thank you so much steve for joining us on the value coffee talk podcast Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it very much. Love to come Steve, back. Steve, after our conversation, I'm going to officially name the title. Uh, instead of product marketing, I think we need to really promote value marketing. Yeah. I don't know if you'll be a fan of it, but uh, <laughs> I'll be looking at your LinkedIn to see if you took the suggestion. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I, uh, that was my title uh, before. I never uh, never got the traction in the market, but hey, hope springs <laughs> eternal. We might make it work. Awesome. Thank you so much. Please sign up for the Enterprise Value Collective if you haven't done so yet. Do that on LinkedIn or on our GeniusDrive.com website to stay in touch with the latest events, tools, get uh, access to insights. Also, if you like this podcast, hit the like button, subscribe to stay up to date on the latest episodes. And until next time, our Enterprise Value Collective, please keep sharing and growing together.